Welcome to the Founders Edition. We mic up with founders, investors, and advisors behind the most successful software companies on the planet. We are here to showcase the most effective mechanisms for sales go to market and dispel the myths around the best practice for the modern world. We are hunters and unicorns. Obviously, App Dynamics, the market has changed so much in terms of how customers consume and buy and, and, and the whole kind of buying behaviors. What have you had to change and what have you adapted and baked in from day one in, in, in your kind of your, your, your further investments and in, in the companies you've, you've founded more recently? Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a great question. You know, the, the markets evolve for sure. And uh, I would say at AppDynamics, we were very well known for the top-down selling, like top-down enterprise selling, where you're going to the VP, C-level kind of execs, and you're running a structured sales process. So you believe that if you can attract the best CRO, you should, you should, and you've got the money. And you've got the money. <laughs> got the money. Obviously, yeah. there's the cost of sale, uh, the, the, the consideration of the cost of sale. You should attract the best that you can, irrelevant of what stage you're in. What do you see as the most common mistakes that are made or some of the biggest challenges that you find yourself repeating when having these challenges? Today, we welcome Jyoti Bansal. Jyoti is one of the most prolific unicorn builders in the industry. App Dynamics acquired by Cisco for a cool 3.7 billion was recognized by many as the gold standard in sales execution. He has since repeated that having founded Harness and Traceable. His VC Unusual Ventures is helping first time founders making best practice and now is one of the fastest growing VCs on the planet. In this episode, we talk about product market fit, the convergence of product led growth and enterprise selling, and how to avoid common mistakes when making your first hire. This is his playbook. Welcome to Hunts and Unicorns. I'm Simon Kutis and I'm joined by my co-host, Oli Kune. Welcome back to the show, everyone. And it's an absolute delight and pleasure to be joined by Jyoti Bansal. Jyoti, welcome to the show. Excited to be here. So Jyoti, you are highly regarded as a real kind of trailblazer for, for best practices. App Dynamics, which was the first company you founded, um, was re is regarded by the industry, was regarded by the industry as the real kind of blueprint of best practice when it comes to kind of sales execution, and cultivated some of the most elite talent within sales. Really want to start by understanding how did that all come about? Take us right to the start of that journey. How were you able to kind of create that type of organization and and, and take us through that journey? Uh, you know, that's 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 true. AppDynamics, uh, if I remember now, we have uh, at least, uh, you know, 15 or so people out of AppDynamics who have become head of worldwide sales in in different different companies like some very large companies you know zscaler etc uh, led by sales is led by AppDynamics people uh like dali running at zscaler you have like a lot of startups where sales is led by former AppDynamics people so very proud of you know the 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 quality of sales execution and sales talent that we were able to do there it's it didn't start like that you know it's uh, when uh, when AppDynamics when i first launched it uh, I didn't really 
no like you know what does world class sales even mean you know it's what does the the, the that caliber of sales execution and world class sales even mean and initially it's all about you know finding your initial early sales like you know your initial product market fit and i would almost say like you know for the first few million dollars of revenue it's you can't even attract the the you know the right kind of longer term sales people and you don't even you know want to probably have them because it's the product is so immature and your your product market fit is so immature you know who you sell to your buyer persona your user persona everything is you're figuring it out and if you try to build a lot of sales uh, you know really good sales process in it it's too early and it 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 fails actually and people get frustrated so abdanics was no different in that sense like you know we started with a uh, uh, kind of a more uh, let's say like a simpler sales process you know we we didn't have the um uh, we focused a lot on the user experience that people can come and download the product themselves can get going and we we the product was doing really well it was a really good product you know so we got to about maybe 7 8 million of revenue and that's when i met, met um dev devit cheria who was uh, um he just uh, uh left blade logic bmc at that time um and you know he was exploring what to do he was taking a you know uh role in a in a in a in a venture firm at that time and he and i met for a breakfast and you know his, we were talking about like you know what's going well for the abdanics was doing really well uh, you know from a getting from zero to the first uh, 7 8 million of of revenue and you know we talked about what's working well and i told him everything about like you know how good the product is you know the all the advantages we had in the product and he started to challenge me is like you know is uh, what about sales and as you know i, I was a engineer turned founder i didn't really care too much about sales at that point you know i was like if the product is good it will sell and he started to you know challenge on like you know your product is good and is selling but can you really scale it to to hundreds of millions of of revenue and can you really sell into the larger enterprises and and um, can you really um uh you know continue to grow without making sales as your strength as well right so so he, you know that uh, you know that part, that dialogue was kind of the uh, the opening uh, kind of you know it opens your eyes you know and i was his primary point was like you know if you're winning on the strength of your product what if you also uh start winning on the strength of your sales and if you combine the two then you can really really take off and so i i you know i was fortunate to uh, bring him on board as a you know as a, as, a, as a board member in 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 abdanics and then you know we start i started to to meet with people who were coming from a very sort of like you know this very uh, sophisticated enterprise sales background uh, and the the number one guy in the in the whole uh, universe on that is uh, john mcman who uh who ran sales for dev at um, at uh, bmc and blade logic and ptc before um, um and who was you know and i was looking at like you know who are the best people i can learn from about like world class enterprise sales what does it even mean uh so i was fortunate to got connected to to john mcman and uh, you know i i hired him as an advisor to abdanics you know and john is like a he's like a teacher you know he will come to the our office uh, in in san francisco will and on a on a whiteboard he will draw out like the how 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 does it even work like you know what do you, how should you think about sales uh, enterprise sales process you know the the capacity planning to like you know what what metrics you should be looking at you know it's uh, and it's, it's a lot of people don't realize like john has a electrical engineering background he has a you know so he's a very engineering mindset to to you know how can you structure sales so you know he and i got along very well and he kind of became my my teacher on enterprise sales 
and uh, so to me that was the the kind of the start of the journey of like you know how we created this world class enterprise sales at 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 um, at Abdanomics, which was number one was the the realization on the importance of it you know which uh, and second was like you know now if you have people like you know uh, John McMahon uh, 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 helping through you know what does it mean right so that's that was very important and then i started to to meet more people like who we can recruit at Abdanomics. And uh, we recruited some of the best sales leaders uh, uh, who had the potential to bring in the best best sales uh, uh, culture and sales talent in in Abdanomics. You know, uh, Dali Rajik, who's uh, running, uh, was president at uh, Zscaler now. Uh, Jeremy Dugan in in Amia, he was like the the best uh, 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 sales leader uh, you know possible. Uh, you could you could you could recruit in 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 Europe at that time. Um, and you know we have uh, many more folks came in. You know Paul Cap, uh, you know Joe Sexton, some really strong sales leaders who came in the company too. And that's how we, you know, started to set a high bar on what does it mean and how can we create a world class sales org. So you know it started with a simpler sales process. You know converting to a this kind of a very strong world class sales execution uh, model over time. Mm-hmm. Was there any resistance at that point? So from the education of learning about good go to market, were you resisting in any way uh, or was it I fully take on board what these guys are saying and, and off it went? Or No, there is a lot of resistance in the beginning, like, you know, because the, the sales process that I had before it wasn't really a structured process. Right. Yeah, but the advantage of the structured process is it's, uh, uh, there are not too many checks and balances and gates, so it, it's fast. It's fast, but it's unpredictable, unreliable. It's you know you can't forecast anything, but it's fast. So now you start creating a structure in the process. It slows you down a little bit, but the slowdown is for for you know for the right purpose. You know the slowdown creates the the right forecasting ability, creates the right you know uh, uh, you know you can you can also maximize the value that you can get into a, into from a customer. But there is resistance to that, like, you know, when it's like, why are we taking so long? Like, you know, in the, in the past, we would be, you know, we'll do a meeting and we'll jump into a proof of concept in, in two days. You know, now we're going through these, like, you know, four more hoops um, before we go into a proof of concept. And um, so, yes, there is resistance to that. Like, when, when I initially was like, oh, we're slowing down things, uh, you know, is that the right thing or not? But then you have to look at, like, you know, it's so much better to slow down upfront than, like, you know, let's say, you know, if you take, like, two more weeks, to figure out like you know what does this customer really want you know the like kind of the uh, three wires kind of model on you know what is really the pain you know what's the you know uh, our advantage here you know uh, why buy you know um, anything right now why buy from us why buy now and you you build some champions in account you know you follow the process and then you do a proof of concept let's say it's much uh, much likely that you're going to win yeah. right so so the slowdown helps but but there is some resistance that comes to it like you know the the organization will resist initially and so you have to kind of go 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 through that yeah so was there a moment in time uh, whether it's the the aha moment where you realized wow this really works and what point was that <laughs> when you start getting your first million dollar deals <laughs> you know b- b- without a right process you know the million dollar deals just don't happen because the problem is uh, or even like a quarter million dollar deal is very hard to do uh, the challenge is like you know if you haven't run a process around establishing value when it comes to giving a customer a quote it's not backed by any value right so it's like you know uh, and the customer also doesn't really understand it, like you know, because you're you, 
you give them a code that our software will cost you four hundred thousand dollars, and you know you will they will be okay. What is the the basis for four hundred thousand dollars? You'll say this is how our pricing works, and it's okay. We don't care. Like you know, it's not valuable enough for four hundred thousand. It's for us the value is only fifty thousand dollars. And you are in this argument of like, you know, what is the real value for the customer? Because you never really did the work to establish value. So big part of the sales process was the, you know, this concept of uh, understanding business value, right? So the big the sales process, the you know, it's, uh, we used to call them BVA, business value assessment, where through the entire process, you, the end outcome is that you're establishing what is the business value of your software to the to the customer. And if the business value is established, that's when you now you give them a $400,000 code. It's because you know, you're saying the business value of using us versus not using us is $2 million. And you pay us $400,000, so it's based on the business value. And that's how someone pays you $400,000 or like a million dollars or many millions of dollars, which was pretty much impossible to get out of an, uh, out of an account before, before we had a proper uh, sales process. So obviously there's a lot of technologies out there which become kind of staple commodity type technologies that perhaps don't have sophisticated you know structured sales process like the one that you have that you had at AppD mm -hmm. but obviously AppD being a disruptor and a new kind of emerging technology why was it even more important to be able to really kind of give you that competitive competitive advantage well um it, it's the you know, any if you have a if a customer has a problem, right? You know, and you most of the times they are looking at multiple alternatives. So a big part of the sales process is to um, you know get there first. You know, so the, your pipeline generation, uh, you know, process, your discipline on pipeline generation is much strong. So you want to get there first before your competitors. The second part of the process is like you know that you want to control the criteria of how you, you know, it's like. Yes, our technology was superior, but the competitor will also argue their technology was superior in some ways, right? So it's like you know how do you, how how does a customer compare which technology is superior? It's it's not as black and white, you know. Everyone will claim theirs is better, and you know I would claim ours was significantly better. <laughs> but <laughs> our, I'm pretty sure our competitor will claim that too. Uh, now, in the sales process, if you set the right criteria of what does better mean, you are in, you are you have a big advantage. And that's where the sales process comes in. Like, you know, who controls the criteria? Like, you know, when a customer dis is creating the evaluation criteria, there's a column A and there's a column B and there's a column C, uh, you know, and how much weight you give to each criteria. Like, you know, who's, who's in column A, who's in column B makes a big difference. Uh, you know, so you have want to, you want to influence the criteria towards, you know, what your strengths are. And it's also, uh, you know, also really teaching and evangelizing with the customer like you know what does success mean for that project and you know what you see in the market and what uh, so that influence is very key and that comes with the right sales process now the third is the you know in in the sales process that you will you will hear from the you know uh, john mcmahon and you know the you know a lot of people who came from that education is the concept of uh, you know the, the human element of it which is like you know who are the decision makers and uh, uh, and who are the influencers in the account, and and understanding them deeply. Because if you if you are selling into a large enterprise, it's not just like you know, there is a, there's a lot of like you know, human element that's that's so key to the sales. Uh, you know, are you going to win or not? 
because you have like you know 20 different people who are involved you know uh, your people can influence it people have to decide it people have to you know uh, 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 people who could be against your product they, they might like the competitive product better right so the concept of like building champions concept of understanding who the champions are for you who will champion you you know who the champions for your competitors are you know how do you you know uh, let's say um, uh, neutralize the impact that they could have who the executive buyers are you know what what's important for them that's that's really really important to understand to to win right so otherwise so you know that's a competitive advantage because if you understand your the the human element of it better it, it's 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 very important and then finally the last part is the is the avoiding surprises like you know if you run a proper sales process like you know you 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 are not surprised in the in the end like you know that you didn't know about some things that your competitors knew probably qualification and, uh, just yes, about qualification uh, yeah. so i would say the right sales process becomes a big competitive advantage like you know going back to your question like is it a competitive advantage or not i do think so like you know it's the if the same product executed by a you know uh, sales team that's not following a good sales process versus the same product you know uh, uh, sold by a sales team that's following a really good process like this they will have a huge advantage uh because you'll set the criteria better you'll build champions better you'll understand the the human dynamics of the account better uh you know maybe you will get into the account be before your competitor uh you know uh, if you're doing the right pipeline generation kind of activities so there is a lot of advantages and you know that's why we were winning into into a lot of these accounts uh quite a lot and that's that to me was the core of it like you know that we could win just on the strength of our product you know half the time but you know if we could also do the like a great sales process compared to our competitors we could win even more like we could win 80 90% of the time right? so that's where the 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 leap in the in the competitive advantage was yeah so now having really understood the you know your your go to market on sales you know app dynamic product at the beginning and where it evolved to your ability to obviously really be able to understand that the sales process but also the product mindset that interaction and the development of the app dynamic product you know how influenced and how did you create an ecosystem around product and sales that mm. enabled you to really develop the product where it ended up getting to mm. yeah i think that's a that's a, a great question it's uh, normally for a, for a, for a technology company like app dynamics and uh, uh you it's the the two the two core areas are are you know the your product has to be innovative and great and you're doing a you know very strong go to market around it but you're but they are very tied together the product can only become better if you are uh learning from your customers you know and the way i looked at this like you know, there are two things we learned from is uh how do we win in a in a in a in a competitive evaluation and what is making us win is a important part of the product um uh you know uh, what we put in the product strategy and what is making us lose is also a very important part of you know what do we need to fix in the product strategy so that's the one part like in the to win against your competitors the second is like once you close the deal are we delivering the value to the customer you know and to me that is that is probably the single most important thing to get your product right and to get your product strategy right like you know so you have to be very very close as a product team to understanding are the customers getting the value or not if they if they're getting the value you know and that means your product is 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 uh you know fulfilling the promise that you had and if your product fulfills a promise you know the word spreads 
you know it's the you know your your these users of your product they become your champions in other companies and you know to expand into different accounts and all that so at dynamics we put a lot of focus on that like how do we create a very tight loop between our customers and our our, our product teams you know so our product teams were very heavily involved with customers you know we are we had a very uh, um uh, very customer centric mindset across across the product and engineering and we created a culture where like you know the pride in engineering was not about that we sh- shipped some cool technology the pride in engineering was that we delivered value to a customer and you know it's uh, many times the the companies and the, the the ceos have to be careful about that like you know because i've seen engineering organizations where they don't really care about the customer value they care about the that their technology is cool and interesting etc and uh, you know I, i'm totally totally opposed to that kind of mindset to me it's like you know the only thing the engineer should be should take pride in and you have to create a culture like that is like our customers happy and successful and getting a lot of value and you know and uh, talking about our product you know how much they love our product etc so do do you think that that was the the potential moment in time that really got you buying into sales because at that point you realized how much you could now start really creating a product that your customers wanted to buy rather than a product that you wanted to build yeah i would say that part we had it in our culture from very early on okay. you know because to me it's like you know it was hard to even measure what is a good product and to me the measurement bar on what is a good product always was our customers happy it's like you know it's the and i still follow those those two criteria like you know in any company i'm uh, uh, you know uh, i'm involved in like the what does what does it mean when someone says your product is good you know you can internally think your product is good you know uh, but i i really can look at only two things like are we winning against competitors in a real head to head evaluation and second is like our customers happy once they once they buy us and so that part to me was like you know always uh, like very naturally ingrained in our uh, in, in in our culture uh but when you start doing the kind of more and more strong sales execution the good thing about that is that the all of these requirements and like what does success mean comes in early in the process you know that the notion of the business value assessment that you're using to in the sales process to establish value for the customer becomes a great uh, tool for post sales measurement of did you deliver the business value because before you sold you wrote up this is the business value that the customer perceives and they're going to pay you you know $400,000 a year for that and now you can take the same document and say okay 6 months later did you deliver that value or not and so we we actually at abdanamics we created a concept called business value realization which was really a follow through from that business value assessment that was done in the sales process right so that was the good part about like having a strong sales process that you know it's uh, made it easy to prove that you delivered the value mm-hmm. so since abdanamics you've obviously now founded an additional two uh two companies harness and traceable uh which are obviously at very different stages you've also set up unusual ventures where you work with a lot of kind of early stage kind of seed round startups and bake in a lot of these best practices obviously app dynamics the market has changed so much in terms mm-hmm. of how customers consume and buy and 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 the whole kind of buying behaviors what have you had to change and what have you adapted and baked in from day 1 in 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 your kind of your 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 further investments in mm-hmm. in the companies you've you've founded more recently yeah uh that's a, that's a great question you know the, the market's evolved for sure and uh i would say at abdanamics we were very well known for the top down selling 
like top-down enterprise selling where you're going to the VP, C-level kind of execs and you're running a structured sales process to do that. Um, when I started uh, Harness, for example, in the in the DevOps space, it was very clear like, you know, in the DevOps and the developer tool space, the top-down selling is not enough. You know, you, and actually in a lot of the, lot of B2B, uh, enterprise software right now, top-down selling is not enough. You have to have a bottom-up PLG kind of model. And, you know, the PLG could be from like, you know, like a SaaS PLG, free trials. It could be open source PLG, you know, based on their open source downloads of your product, depending on what kind of uh, product you have. Uh, that without a PLG model, it's hard to really succeed uh, just with the top-down. Because the top-down decision makers, they don't want to make a decision unless there is a grassroots demand for, for the technology and the grassroots validation for the technology. Because you know a C-level exec is not going to tell a developer use this product unless the developers have already bought into the concept of that product or they already like that product. Uh, so that's that's a big change, that's a big difference. So, you know, uh, I definitely wanted to build a sales process, a go-to-market process that that's, uh, that does both of them well, right? So, you know, I, I, I call it simple, this kind of the, the sandwich strategy. You go from the top, you go from the bottom, both. Mm. Uh, and you excel in both. Like, you know, if you don't go from the bottom, you're only going from the top, you know, you just don't get the buy-in from the developers and the users. And it's hard for a C-level exec to make a decision, uh, especially in the in the world of developers where there's strong influence on them. Uh, if you're only going bottom-up, it's hard to extract a lot of value. And it doesn't, like, you know, you, can't, you can do small deals, small transactions, but you're going to a large enterprise. It's hard to navigate the large enterprise. It's hard to extract like you know uh, millions of dollars from from uh, from these companies so you have to excel at both and that's what we did did at harness you know but it's also interesting that you know sometimes that doesn't work you know uh, <laughs> you know my uh, my other company traceable we sell cybersecurity uh, you know we're the among the best uh, api security products cybersecurity is different than developer tools you know so uh, i was for us at harness the the the, the combination of the bottom up plg combined with the top-down sales was working so well. So when I started Traceable, uh, I thought, let's do the same thing here. And it failed. You know, the cybersecurity market, people still not ready for bottom-up. The You know, it's not like the developers who want everything, you know, bottom-up, they want to try it. The cybersecurity uh, uh, sales is still, most of the decision-making is done by the C-level, the CISOs and the, the execs, because they are looking forward-looking, in terms of like what are the new security challenges they need to focus on they want to bring those kind of tools the teams are the 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 the, the practitioner teams are are small and they are almost like all uh, they're not too many security engineers so they don't go and just download and try out the products unless like you know there is a security initiative from top down so at traceable we started the plg model as well <laughs> and it didn't work you know, so we pivoted away from it. We don't, you know, we said, okay, let's double down on the, on kind of the more, you know, what you would call a, a more classical enterprise top-down sales model. So my point is like, there is no, you know, many times people think, okay, is this better, this better? It really depends on the market. Yeah. It depends on the market, depends on the product, depends on like, you know, uh, what are you trying to, you know, uh, uh, to accomplish in that particular market. And so there's no one size fit. Like you gotta, you gotta figure out the, the right sales model, go to market model for your product. You know, uh, there was uh, another podcast where I talked about this. Like you know, for any company, you have the product market fit, 
but then you have the product market sales fit like you know once you find like you know the product market fit is like this is the problem and this is your product to solve the problem but what is the right go to market strategy for that problem and that solution is the third element of it right so ultimately you need to find your product market sales fit so for my company traceable the product market sales fit is actually it doesn't have plg as a strong element to it for my company harness you know the product market sales fit has plg and open source as a very strong element into it because it's just different markets so to actually start to establish what the best go to market strategy is what 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 are the kind of the what are the the, the steps to take um, for you to really start going after this. Let's go kind of pre-revenue, right? So, so take us right to pre-revenue. You know, what, what are the first things that you're really thinking about when you're trying to get to that first million, you know, in, in ARR? Sure. You know, so um, you mentioned my venture firm, Unusual Ventures. Uh, that is the core focus at Unusual Ventures to teach startups and help startups getting from the zero to the first million revenue. Zero to first million revenue is a, is a very different process. You know, a lot of times, like, you know, people start thinking about sales process in that phase. And, you know, I normally tell them, like, don't think about sales process in that phase. Think about really the product market fit in that phase, because it's not really not about sales process. The end to the, the the first million of revenue normally comes from customers you closely work with. You know, so we teach the concept of establishing design partners. Like when you're building your product, the earlier you start having a lot and lots of customer conversations, you can figure out what is the right product to build. And like, you know, and uh, it's if you're having those customer conversations and you're finding the right pain points, then many of those customers from the conversations will be willing to become your partners to help you build the product. Like, so that's, we, you know, what we call design partners. And you work very closely with them and those design partners become your, your you know, your beta customers and then they become your paying customers. And that's kind of you start, you know, uh, building the, your first million dollars of revenue. A big part of it is to have a very rigorous process on talking to a lot of customers. A lot of times what the startups do, the mistake of like, you know, you know, uh, founders, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a product founder. You have a strong point of view uh, on like what problem is there, how do you solve it, what technology to build. You know, a strong point of view is, is a great thing, but you gotta validate that and work with a lot of customers to refine and figure out, you know, what is, what does what do the, the customers really want? Uh, so I encourage all the founders like in the zero to one. You know, it's like even you you're even before you start building the product, talk to a lot of customers. Like you know maybe 30, 40, 50. You know, forty to fifty is a good number. You know, but because then you start getting a good sense of what pain points are there, and you start seeing this kind of uh, almost like you know the same message coming out of the conversation. Then you know you have found the pain point. Then you start building your product. And then you know, start building your product, then you start validating with those another 30, 40, 50 customers, you know, or maybe the same set of people. Like, are you building the right product, the right solution, you know, right solution or not? And, you know, uh, and then if you're building the right solution and, you know, the pain point you identified with them, many of them will become your, your design partners and, and, and uh, over time customers. But the main thing is you build a good product. You know, if you don't build the right product and you get your first million of revenue through like friends and family or, you know, through like one or two customers, and now you try to scale it like, a, you know, say, I got my first million of revenue, let's hire a bunch of salespeople and try to scale it, then then it fails. You know, and I've seen this so many times, like, you know, that your, your first million of revenue, if first million of revenue is not built on a true product market fit, the scaling beyond that doesn't happen. 
you know so you have to make sure the first million of revenue is 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 a you know a true product market fit how do you know you have product market fit what so what is what is product market fit first of all <laughs> yeah that's the that's the billion dollar question i guess <laughs> <laughs> uh, i to me product market fit is when uh, the problem is 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 repeatedly well defined and how you solve the problem is also repeatedly well defined like as in it's not one off if it's one off you don't have a product market fit like you know when it's like when you can talk about that problem with like 50 different customers and it's resonating with them and they all have the same problem and how you solve the problem and then that that your solution is unique and valuable and solves the problem in the right ways is also resonating with the mm. with, with with the customers. If you have that, like in a you know in a you know that you can do the same conversation with thirty, forty, fifty different people, you have a product market fit. Uh, then the second part of the product market fit is like, does it really work? Like you, you the, the promise of your solution, you know that you that you can uh, which people are people think okay it's it works repeatedly. Does it really work in practice repeatedly? Mm. So that to me is a, another part of product market fit is like, does your product work? Uh, to solve the problem, like did you really solve the problem that you promised in in your approach? And that's where I keep going to that the customer value uh, concept. You know, it's like you know. So normally, my rule of thumb that I like to follow is, if 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 you have delivered uh, the promise of your you know of your value to twenty customers, your product market fit. You know, if you're selling into enterprise, if you're selling into SMB, you know, maybe more, maybe more. Mm. Uh, but let's say, you know, if 20 customers are happy and successful, that, you know, that you had the same message, okay, this is your problem that I'm trying to solve. Like, let's say, in traceable case, you know, that, um, that you know, you're struggling with API security, you're struggling with understanding where your APIs are, uh, and APIs are getting attacked, and, you know, uh, you have no real good means to, to protect them. So let's say people are, res the problem is resonating with people, uh, you know, 20 people, you know, uh, bought into our approach to it. Like, you know, that we are, you're watching every single API call. We're bringing API calls into our API data lake. You know, we, you know, create AI models to figure out, you know, what's, uh, you know, when when abnormal activity is happening on APIs and that's how we protect your APIs. So let's say the problem, the solution is resonating to 20 people and now they bought it. But that's not product market fit yet. Those are like the step one is the problem resonation. Step two is the solution, reson uh, you know, solution is resonating. Step three is that value delivered. Like then, if we got twenty customers to be successful, that they're saying, okay, we we solve the problem, you know, through your solution, then you have product market fit. Then you're ready to like go fast on it. When you advise or when you look for that person, whether it's your first salesperson that's going to help you support in going out and and having those customer conversations, what sort of person are you looking for? Uh, a very BDR-ish person. You know, that's the, I feel like the, if you're doing those very early conversations, like in the pre-product, pre-revenue kind of phase, the primary help I look for from a salesperson is to set a lot of meetings, to find a lot of customers to talk to, and experiment with the message and, and you know, uh, have the, to set up the conversations. The conversations I do think at the very early stage, especially the pre-revenue, has to still be founder-led. Because the founders have to understand, you know, through those conversations, are they building the right product or not? And uh, and they have to change the the messaging and experiment with the messaging, you know, uh, have a dialogue about like, are they building the right product or not? So so the the normally I, I you know what how I like to do is like the first uh, you know first few salespeople who come in to help during that phase, uh, 
their primary strength is that they can go and help set a lot of customer conversations. But you know, if I'm founder, I would like to do the conversations myself, mm -hmm. so that I can learn and build the right product. But once the the product is starting to get to the point where, like, you know, I'm not learning new as a founder in any conversation now. That we have repeatable message on what the problem is, a repeatable message on what the solution is. Then you can start hiring salespeople who can take it and deliver the those, those messages, uh, because they are repeatable now and they can they can do that. Uh, but you want to find the right kind of salespeople. The f the first few reps are 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 they are kind of hard to hire, you know, because they they need to hunt. They need to hunt into into um, into sort of a very wide pool of of uh, customers at least. But they need to be good in prospecting. They need to be good in. Uh, you know, no one knows who your company is. You know, you have no name recognition, no brand recognition. So you have to call into a lot of lot of different places. Uh, so the pipeline uh, kind of discipline is very very important. Um, but also then depends on where are you selling, right? You know, let's say uh, at, at, um, if you're selling into a large enterprise, you also want the person to be able to navigate large enterprise. You know, it's, if you're selling into SMB, then you know maybe you can you need some commercial kind of background. I normally recommend people like you know if you're hiring your first few sales reps, hire experienced reps mm. because you don't want to take the chance on like you know just someone new into that job and like kind of figuring out sales, etc. Yeah. So, how important is the main experience at that point and finding a sales rep that could potentially have a good rolodex of contacts of customers that you believe at this stage you've created mm. a hypothesis that they're the people that we're going to solve. Mm. Uh, I have a strong opinion on this. I think any sales reps who t talks to me about Rolodex too much, I don't. I never hire them. Okay. You know, Rolodex is is really, you know, just not scalable. You know, it's you know how many people someone would have in the Rolodex might be like you know 20, 30, 40, you know, and you let's say you are a sales rep, you say I have a Rolodex of a lot of people, and at most it will be 30, 40 people, mm. and they will call into those 30, 40 people and say out of 30. 40 people, you got like five opportunities and maybe you close two. What happens after that? What the sales rep is useless after that? Yeah. Because they don't have, a, their Rolodex is, is, is consumed mm. now. So I look for reps who don't believe in Rolodex, but they believe in a process of prospecting and pipeline generation. Like, you know, which is the, so to me, the right sales rep would be like, you know, it's not about the Rolodex, it's about a, about a PG process. Yeah. Like, which is the, you know, how would you find target accounts? How would you find like, you know, an ideal, let's say, you know, some notion of a scientific element to it, like, you know, what is your ideal customer profile? Your ideal customer profile is these particular verticals, uh, you know, uh, you know, let's say FinTech and e-commerce and health tech, you know, it's 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 companies from, you know, 500 employees to 5,000 employees in those verticals. It's, uh, you know, so someone who can do some that kind of research first, then based on that research, they can find the right target uh, people in those accounts based on the ideal personas. And then based on those, those once you've identified those, can they systematically do an outreach campaign to them through, you know, whatever, you know, uh, phone calling or emails or LinkedIn or whatever it is. And that's how they generate a pipeline. So when I look for like a reps, I look for like people who understand this, this, this thing mm. and who can operate like that and not relying on a Rolodex that they will run out in a month. You know, so anytime, I, and I made this mistake, like, you know, I had reps who were, you know, because initially I didn't know, like it's Rolodex sounds very exciting. Like, you know, the rep comes in and say, oh, I know all these accounts and, you know, I have a big Rolodex and I've sold to them before and oh, that's great. Let's hire, hire this guy. <laughs> and it turns out like, you know, that Rolodex is over in a month. Mm. Uh, you know, so yeah. the best reps to me are earlier ones are, are, you know, who don't talk about Rolodex. What about the domain experience? <laughs> domain experience could be useful. The, you know, 
ideally in the in the long term you really want people who are very good sales reps and domain could be taught uh, like that's what we did in AppDynamics. You know, most of our best reps they didn't have any domain experience, uh, but they learned the domain. The challenge is the like if you're a very early startup, like you're hiring your first rep or second rep, you know, you don't have the time to ramp a rep for six months because six you need revenue in six months. Like you know, you know. So normally, like in a in a mature sales organization, mm -hmm. you'll hire a sales rep. Their ramp period will be like six to nine months. Like that, they don't close anything for six to nine months. They ramp. They learn the domain. They learn everything. And they become very good at it. So, but it's the, you know, um, because you can't find enough people in the domain anyways. But if you're hiring a first rep, second rep, you know, if you can recompress the ramp time from six, nine months to three, four months, because you need revenue and you can't afford people not producing for six, nine months, that helps. Uh, so to me, that is the really the only advantage of domain. Uh, if if I'm into this kind of, a, let's say, a forced position that I cannot find, that it's a, it's a, Rap who is not a very strong seller, but from the domain versus a rap who is like, you know, a very strong seller, but not in the domain. I'll take the strong seller, you know, because I, I could teach the domain to them. Uh, the, the, the right sales techniques and the sales discipline and the sales mindset is a little bit hard to hard, hard to teach. And, you know, if, if you're not a good seller, you know, you're not going to be a good seller. What are some of the things that you do qualify? So if you were a founder and you're hiring your first seller, to really be able to qualify is because obviously salespeople are good sellers. They no, sell themselves, yeah. right? It's really easy for them to pull wool over your eyes. What are the kind of the, the, the questions that you would be really going after to assess that? Yeah, it, it's hard to recruit sellers because <laughs> of that, you know? Uh, first of all, like, you know, if you're a founder who never recruited a sales rep before or never managed a sales rep before, I normally encourage that if you can afford to, you have funding situation, et cetera, that you can afford to, hire a VP of sales, you know, instead of trying to experiment with recruiting the sellers yourself. Uh, you know, and I think that's the the, the best thing I did in AppDynamics, uh, you know, because I didn't, I, when I was first time founder, you know, I absolutely zero experience of, you know, interviewing or hiring or managing any sales, any sales rep. Uh, so, you know, I, I, try, I started to do it and I was like, I don't even know how to interview a sales rep. I know how to interview engineers. I don't I have no idea. And then I said, okay, I need to hire a VP of sales because I really, I'm gonna make learn, you know, I'm just make going to make mistakes. And if I my first two three sellers are wrong, then the company will just not survive. Uh, so that was a good decision to make. Sometimes you're forced to that you don't have the choice, like you don't have the, you can't you don't have the money to hire a VP of sales. You have to hire the sellers. Uh, so then you um, you go ahead and hire the sellers. What I have learned over time is like you know to identify a good seller is the. Number one is track record. Is you know have they sold before? Well, you know have they sold the the you know kind of the products that you uh, that you are selling, and not in the necessarily in the same domain, but like broadly, like you know, let's say if you're building infrastructure software, they have do they have sold infrastructure software before, or you're selling business software, they have sold business software before is one. Second thing I look at is like have they sold in your kind of ASP before? Like your ASP is 100K and the seller has only sold like 10K ASP before, that's a problem. But your ASP is 100K and your the, the seller you're hiring is only sell a million dollar deals before, that's, they're going to struggle as well, right? So you you also want to look for, they have done the, the, in your ASP also. The third thing I look for is just the, the sales track record. You know, I can tell like sellers from their resume or the, from their, their LinkedIn profile, the best sellers, the best sellers would have their their achievement numbers on the profile. <laughs> like, you know, they'll say like, you know, 2000, uh, you know, 2021, 120% of the quota, 2019, 
eighty percent of the quota because they they know that that's how things are measured and that's how they are driven by like the the quota achievement or the achievement on the the target. If I see a seller's profile where there's no notion of numbers and what they achieved in the past, I know this person is not intrinsically driven by achieving their targets, right? So like normally, like you know, I look at like you know, if if a rep has in their profile has all the what they've achieved in the last five years, seven years, and every year numbers targets, and that's how they define what they delivered. That to me is a, is a great sign. Like yeah, yeah. So you mentioned VPS sales, right? But obviously, as a founder. There are different types of VPS sales. You've got the VPS sales that are kind of managers and spreadsheet, and then you've got the the hands-on. Can you just define the difference between, because you can still have VPs that are hands-on. So yeah. help us understand that. Well, it depends on the stage of the company, but hands-on is very key. Uh, early stages, even later stages, hands-on is, is key. I look at like, you know, uh, VP of sales has three responsibilities in my mind. One is uh, the operational leadership. You know, operational leadership is like you know building a sales plan, sales capacity plan, hiring plan, uh, getting the sales processes in order, getting the systems in place, you know, sales operations in place. Uh, so that's you have to get the sales operation uh, operational leadership right, which starts from sales planning mostly. The second is the people leadership. Like you know, when you have the they have to provide the people leadership, as in like they are the leader of the people and not just manager. They they lead the team of 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 your sellers. And the third is the deal leadership. So deal leadership is they have to lead your large deals from the front, and the the or coach the the sellers how to win the large deals in the front because many times the a few deals will make the biggest difference in do do things or not. So to me, the ideal VP of sales is who can provide all three: the operational leadership, you know, the people leadership, and the deal leadership. Sometimes you may find people who who are very good in deal leadership because they were very good seller. uh but they don't really have any operational experience at all and they may struggle because they can't they you know they can they can be the the super seller providing the deal leadership uh but they may not have any operational experience on how to even build a capacity plan how do you get like you know how, how do you generate create a demand generation plan and you know where do you you know how do you run a, you know a process a sales process and so in that case you it may still be the good hire if you can teach them or you you know or you make hold them accountable to learn the operational elements of things but sometimes you may have like people who are very good in the operational part but they can't provide deal leadership i think those are mistakes in early stages because you need the you know it just doesn't work very well mm-hmm. you know so i would ideally you know look for all three but if not then i would look for like you know people who have the right deal and people leadership who are willing to learn the operational uh, elements are the ones i would look for we're often asked the question um when do i need a cro in your opinion in your experience when is the right time to bring a cro into an organization <laughs> when you can attract a good one <laughs> okay. you know it's really like you know it, it's at any point of time like you know the 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 best sales leader you can attract you should attract like there's no need to wait like you know but a good cro it will be hard for most companies to attract when you are a very small company you know so but when you're ready to do that you know it's it's great to bring someone um you know the cro versus vp of sales versus those are just titles really like you know how senior a sales leader is you know it's like so so you, when you can attract a senior sales leader i would always do so you believe that if you can attract the best cro you should you should 
And you've got the money. And you've got the money. <laughs> got the money. <laughs> Obviously, there's the cost of sale, yeah. uh, the, the, the consideration of the cost of sale. You should attract the best that you can, irrelevant of what stage you are. Yeah. If, uh, you know, it, well, it depends on best for your stage too. Okay. Like, you know, someone is best for like running a $300 million revenue business. And you, let's say you can attract them at like, you know, at your zero revenue business. It may be a mistake because they may not be able to uh, to do that job. But if, if the best you can attract for your kind of stage for the or for the next few years that you should bring in. So you categorize different CROs for different stages or yeah. or different kind of. So you've got the the early stage that those that specialize in early stage, and then you've got kind of the the the, the scale, at, and then you've got the obviously the the hyperscalers. You, did you categorize it in that way? Yes, or? you know, and sometimes there may be people who can do all of them. Like, you know, but let's say like, you know, if I'm looking for uh, a sales leader at, you know, my company is a million dollars of revenue and I want to have a sales leader, I would look for like, you know, let's say at least the next few years, like say up to 10, 10, 20 million dollars of revenue, who would be the best CRO, you know, who can operate into that and who is the, the best of the best I can attract, I would, I would go for that. With the advantage of having a high quality sales leader is so high, you know, so it's like, you know, I, I, to me, the constraint. I don't believe in like you know as a company that you should re- like go. Let we don't let's not go after the best. Go after like you know uh, more a bit more junior person there. If you can attract more senior, it reduces the risk for your company. Like what is the, the risk for most B two B companies is uh, you know sales execution is on the on the top of the mm. list. You know after product execution, let's say like you know if you can build a great product, you know it's it's all comes to sales execution mostly after that. Uh, so if you can reduce the risk by having a strong, the strongest possible sales leader, why not? Mm. We've spoken about your other business, Unusual Ventures, and I think it's we've we've under we've undersold that, or we've underplaced that. It's obviously one of the most successful um, VCs that are in today's market. Um, so obviously you're speaking to a lot of these early stage founders. What do you see as the most common mistakes that are made or some of the biggest challenges that you find yourself repeating when having these types of conversations? Yeah, I think uh, the, the, the number one that we see is the, you know, we talk about product market fit, you know, in such a vague concept, right? But the reality is that is the number one reason early stage companies fail. And so that means that that's where people make the most mistakes, which is the how do you find your true product market fit? Are you building the right product that will that will scale and you know there is a true demand and the true pain in the market and your solution is solving that in a way that you can build a business around? And that's what we focus a lot on teaching the early stage founders. Like how do you go about finding product market fit in a more organized way, more structured way and not build the wrong product? Because if you build the wrong product, you've run out of money and you won't really make it. That's you know in today's market it's even more more true. Like you know if you you have if you didn't if you got your first check like you know seed stage funding, and now you have to have a true product market fit to get the next round of funding. You know it's uh, so it's the most crucial time for any company, right? So that's the the one area that we see people making a lot of mistakes and not knowing what to do. And at Unusual Ventures we try to create a lot of like you know uh, guides and. Uh, workbooks and playbooks and and train and coaching and training around that area uh, how do you do that right then the second part is the is is building a early sales organization early go to market organization right so which has the you know either it's a plg based or it's a you know your enterprise selling based or it's both 
So we create a lot of playbooks and teaching around how to avoid mistakes in those. Like, you know, how do you hire your first few sales reps? How do you think about, you know, uh, building your early sales organization? But we also, you know, uh, create a lot of playbooks around how to build PLG. You know, it's like, how do you build community? Like if your product requires a like a like an open source community to be built, how do you go about in a structured, methodical way? You know, if your product requires like, you know, a, like a SaaS uh, PLG motion to be built, how do you go about that? And so that people can reduce the mistakes they make in these. Like, you know, because these are, you know, any of these mistakes are fatal, right? So it's uh, not having the the product market fit right is is the, the most fatal thing. And after that, not having the go-to-market models right, you know, early, early go-to-market especially, that those are those are big mistakes. As the companies start to scale, you know, you get to the now, like, you know, so you got those parts right, the product market fit and your early go-to-market, and you start hitting somewhere, let's say, in the five to ten million dollars of revenue, that's when you need like the almost like the next phase, which is to the scalable go to market. Like you know, that's where the like the what we talked about the the, the you know the, the John McMahon uh, kind of sales process and executing that comes in. You know that that's too early for you know if you're a mm. pre revenue or a million dollar revenue company. But once you start hitting like the in that five ten million, that's that's when you as a founder you have to start thinking about like how do you create a scalable sales process because it's hard to go from that, you know, five, ten million, two hundred, hundred million dollars if you if you don't if you don't think about that, right? So that's like you know, the, the company have to evolve and the, the where the founders have to learn uh, will will evolve as well. Thanks for that, Jay. Too. I think this is a really good time for us to summarise and reflect on some of the things that we've spoken about today. It has been a truly remarkable and profound um, interview and so many nuggets that I'm sure our listeners and our viewers would have taken from the conversation today. But if I was to really kind of summarise on some of the key takeaways that have, have resonated most, I think uh, product market fit and really uh, founders investing the time to really understand their customers' pain and, and and being able to validate that this is not just solving one customer's problem, but it's actually something which is resonating with a lot of customers and allowing the sales process, not because you're trying to sell a product, but really understanding what your customer is trying to buy. We also spoke a lot about understanding the right type of salesperson and at what stage and what different organizations look like and also the other thing is really understanding what does exceptional sales look like and and really kind of cutting through a lot of the noise and many of the misconceptions about what elite selling whether you're selling up down or, or down up i think we've really really um covered a lot of ground on that and, I, and i'm certain that a lot of these these teachings and the learnings will really resonate with many of our of our uh, of our listeners. So thank you so much for spending the time speaking with us today. It's my pleasure. It's, uh, good conversation. And uh, I hope some of these, uh, these topics are, uh, uh, would be valuable to people who are listening. So to all our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today. Please do subscribe to our various channels, iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. All the links are in the description below. Thank you very much. And we look forward to welcoming you back soon.